Hey friends, Coomer here. Hummer, we just got done recording a goofy episode where we spent, I think, about 30 minutes talking amongst ourselves and then decided that we were, the tone of the conversation was such that it might be helpful to get another perspective on the podcast. Oh, for sure. And so who did we have on? We had Brent from Bearcat Journal, Brent Young. It was great. Brent jumped on spur of the moment. We sent him a DM on, on uh, Twitter and said, Hey buddy, here's a zoom link. And do you want to hop on here and offer your thoughts on the conclusion of the Bearcats basketball season? And he did great sport, fun conversation. If you can listen to the entire thing through, because there's awesome conversation and tidbits in here about the state of the program, how you feel about the AAC tournament and, and, and reasons to be excited and concerned and cautiously optimistic going into the future. So let's just, let's just be honest. The first 30 minutes are our raw emotion, raw feelings on the, on the program as it stands today. And, you know, we wanted to get a, we wanted to get Mr. Optimism <laughs> to let us see why there is hope for the future, which there is. And I'm just, Trust us, stick around, listen to it all. I think we had some good points. He brings some good points. Check it out. Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Sometimes it's, it just feels a little obligatory, but it is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. <laughs> You've pigeonholed yourself into this wonderful catchphrase because it does. it is always wonderful to be a Bearcat sports fan. I love it every single day of the year. But there are days where it's painful to say, and it, and it doesn't feel as good, and there are hard times, and there are times when you want to walk off the court early and, and not watch the conclusion. And, uh, you know, John Brandon himself might have been reading Twitter and, and taking the advice of some of the fans on there, given how he promptly exited the court before shaking hands with the Houston team and acknowledging their second dominant victory over the Bearcats in as many matchups this season. By, by advice, you mean finally coming back out into the court to console players, uh, to pick their spirits up, to lift them up. He never did that. <laughs> I, think, I thought I saw some pictures of him afterwards. With, with no, 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 no. There's pictures. I think it might have been before he left the court. And and honestly, it's hard for us to assess those kind of things outside looking in. I mean, it. it this isn't really what I want to start with. I think we're burying the lead a little bit here. You know, it is a shame that that's, that's the optics that we're seeing because – you know, he's supposed to be the leader of the team. But, you know, when we go back to the other two games that I really want to talk about, the bright spots of the weekend, you know, when we see the pictures of the players celebrating these upset victories, and let's let's not make any fuss about this, SMU and Wichita State were both upset victories for us. Those were games that we weren't favored to win, and we came in and, and we won. You didn't see the players hoisting John Brandon on, his, on their shoulders, a la Luke Fickle in a Cincinnati Bearcats raging after 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 a victory uh, you know you didn't see that and 
I don't know if that's telling. I don't know if that's 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 a sign of things, but I think that the 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 way the optics are and the way those tweets and the way the comments from the parents of those players were made, I definitely sense a little upset. They're a little upset about that, and rightfully so. You know, this was a defeat that we saw today that reminded me a lot of the first time we played Houston. The score is almost identical. The way it played out was almost identical. Just a thorough beatdown through and through. And I'm surprised because everybody's like, I see people want to give excuses and, oh, well, Houston's the seventh-ranked team in the country, and, you know, they're this and they're that, and they're the best defense, blah, blah, blah. Well, Wichita State actually did defeat Houston throughout uh, at once this season. Uh, ECU did defeat Houston once. Throughout. So it is possible. Like, they are not a perfect team in any regards. What's surprising to me is that literally the same result happened where we just let them shoot wherever they wanted, whenever they wanted, and make whatever shot they wanted when they were – we didn't play defense on them. It was the weirdest thing in the world. It's like all of a sudden we had this game plan, and they're just like, yeah, let them, let them shoot threes. They're not a good three-point. Let them shoot threes. Let the conference player of the year shoot wide-open threes. <laughs> Zone defense was not successful against Houston, and that's, that's an understatement. Um, you're right, Hummer. I mean – when we last lost to Houston uh, a few weeks ago, and it was 50, it was 90 to 52, and we did a podcast episode with B-Fox that was polarizing, to say the least. You know, it, it elicited strong reactions from listeners <laughs> far and wide. It's still eliciting strong reactions. <laughs> it's still eliciting <laughs> strong reactions, as, as we found out after the semifinal victory over Wichita State. Here's the thing that kind of loss can sort of be chalked up as a buzzsaw moment. And you're going down to Houston. Houston's coming off a loss. I think were they coming off a loss to East Carolina at that point? Uh, it was their loss against Wichita state. Cause I, I think I joked about it. Like I'm kind of upset that Wichita won that because they're going to come back with a vengeance and they're going to be hungry to just absolutely just mantle whoever they're going to play next. You're right. Happens, yeah. They came off us. They were coming off a 68, 63 loss at Wichita. Cincinnati's coming in on, on a four game win streak after their COVID hiatus and, and, and everything went wrong. Zach Harvey had just opted out. The team looked, it looked more disinterested than we had seen the entire season. And, and that's not something you would typically say about this Bearcats team. They've consistently fought. They've consistently played hard. They've consistently rallied around each other and been a team that battled. And in that game, it didn't happen. And we took it as another sign, uh, another red flag of like, hey, you know, folks, I know we want to be excited about John Brandon and the, the style of basketball he's trying to bring to Cincinnati. But things, there are, there are things to be concerned about. And it, and it relates back to opt-outs and it relates back to the culture of the team and it relates back to, the results on the court and the the up and down nature of our play, the fact that we're barely beating teams that we should be stomping or we're losing to teams that we should be beating thoroughly, you know, the, there was reason to be concerned. And and what we found out what we what we found out since is that it was not unfounded. Justin Williams wrote an article reporting that there was a team players only meeting after that game to sort of air out grievances figure out kind of what, where the dynamic and where the health of the team was from a, from a state of mind standpoint. And then that led to a, a meeting between players and coaches where they're trying to bridge the gap 
you know, there was apparently a, a there's just a disconnect. Wasn't there, wasn't there some, wasn't there something in the article and I don't quote me cause it's been a while. It's been, a, you know, at least a week or so since I've read it, but I, I thought in that article it actually specifically discussed almost how there was a literally disconnect between the coaching staff and the players. And you're trying to read between the lines about what that means. And that's where I think you're tying this. This is where the bow gets tied for me is whether John Brandon was disgusted by quote unquote, Kelvin Sampson running up the score, if you would, which I don't have a problem with, by the way, I do not have a problem with Kelvin Sampson taking his boot and putting it on our throats. This is college basketball, right? This is semi-professional basketball. And look, if we would have had that same mentality, that SMU game doesn't come down to some of the final possessions. It's a blowout. Having your ass handed to you for the second time in a row by a team and a coach is not a reason to storm off the court pouting. That's, right. but that's, that's, and, that's and the problem have getting to, back to. He'll it. have to address this, right? Cause it's, it's one of two things. Either you're, either you are upset at how Kelvin Sampson and his team handled the closing minutes of that game, or you're showing up your players and you're saying, I'm better than this. This isn't on me. You guys didn't play the way we needed to, to show up in a bet to represent ourselves better than this. Um, what I was getting to though, Hummer, is that that, that kind of one-off, team crisis, big loss, biggest loss of the season. We did rally from that. We came back from that game, won a couple games against the likes of Tulane. And uh, who else did we beat? Well, we, we squeaked by a victory with Tulsa. Tulsa, Tulsa, we Tulane. By, we, we put a beat down on Tulane and everybody went nuts and we went wild because it was fun. Let, we got to watch a mock, fun Bearcat I, game. I don't want to mock it though. Like we beat East Carolina and then we beat SMU and Wichita State in the tournament. So we did actually rally from that. It seems like the meetings and the hashing out and airing of grievances worked. The problem is that we came back and we kind of, it's all culminating with this AAC championship finals matchup with Houston, a redemption, like best case, it's a chance for us to redeem a 38 point loss and play our way into the NCAA tournament. Or at worst, you're getting a moral victory of, Hey, you know, we lost by 38 points to these guys. Last time we played them, we're coming back. This is going to be competitive. We're going to fight and we're going to be, we're going to show that that was a fluke. We didn't show it. We came back and we got beat by 37 points. And the the microcosm that is this game is the fact that one weakness I've seen with John Brandon so far in his first two years is just a, a slowness or a stubbornness uh, to react and adapt and change on the fly. It's it's never more apparent than the player who represents this more than anything is Chris Vogt. And we knew clear as day that he is a bad Houston is the absolute worst case matchup for Chris Vogt. They're fast, they're big, they're athletic, and they're well coached. They're going to exploit your weaknesses. And we run them out in the starting lineup they're big, again. They're fast, they're athletic, they play <laughs> basketball. <laughs> true, true, I know. But we the biggest concern is we're down 14 at halftime, which is actually a bit of a victory given where that game seemed to be heading with about four or five minutes left in the half. And the best moments we had in that first half were when, frankly, my boy Mamadou Diara was on the court. And I don't mean it to say that I'm I'm attributing Mamadou Diara to be a key to victory to beat Houston. What I'm saying is what Mamadou Diara represents. It's 
put our bet most athletic guys on the court, play a more, a faster tempo, lean into it, press Houston, try and make them uncomfortable, try and get this deficit coming out of halftime to move from 14 to 12 to 10 to eight to six. We can't afford it coming out of halftime to go from 14 to 15 to 17 to 21. And that's what happened because we ran out the same exact lineup that had already been abused by Houston in three halves this season. And he did it again because he refuses to adapt. I hear people say the future is bright and I am excited about Tari Eason, about Mike Saunders, Jr. Mason Madsen, Micah Adams, Woods, Jeremiah Davenport, David DeJulius. There is a core of players there who have heart, who play tough, who, who compete, who rally around each other, who care about each other. There's something to build around there. But we also know there's a disconnect between them and the coaching staff. And there's a disconnect in, you're telling me the future is bright, but we don't know what else is going with this team in the future. Look, if for all the people out there, and I don't care, I don't care who you are at this point, for all the people out there who are saying, you know what, the future is bright, the future is bright, you're the same people that I'm seeing saying, well, we knew coming into this year, this was a rebuilding year because coming into the first year of John Brandon, he had to build around Jaron Cumberland and Trey Scott. This is college basketball. You have new guys coming in and out every year. You have the reigning conference player of the year and you have to build around him. So what are we building around this year? What specifically are we building around that you're going to say, you know what, we're going to bring in these guys from the transport and they're going to make a difference. This is going to be a difference between us being middle of the road to bottom of the bottom half of the conference to all of a sudden busting out and being a for sure at large NCAA conference tournament bid. That's, that's where I'm confused right now because I know we have great players and I'm excited about seeing them, you know, hoping that they stay with us. Um, Let's not, let's not. I'm elude. assuming like, let's, let's operate let's under let's the framework do, that they're uh, staying. There's really, I don't personally, I know B Fox, what I know what he said on our podcast. And I know there's fears of transferring and you always given the transfer portal, given the current climate of college basketball, you have to worry about it to an extent, but like, honestly, it doesn't do us any good to, I, we don't know. We just don't know. There's no, there, yeah, you're right. There's no good to sit here and say, these guys gone, this guy gone. We don't know. What we do know, though, is that with the way the transfer portal is, and this is something that's been speak, spoken about in the, the, the media at large about co across college basketball, not just in relation to the University of Cincinnati, but all colleges this year. This year in particular, you have to re-recruit the guys that you recruited already. So that is John Brandon's task as of right now, is to be recruiting those guys and, and doing the transport. He has a tall task in front of him, and I, I hope he succeeds because if he doesn't, the alternative is bleak. So, but what I'm really looking at in terms of like, am I excited about next season? I'm excited to see the growth of Jeremiah Davenport. I'm excited to see the explosiveness of Mike Saunders Jr. I think we got some other issues we need to worry about in terms of uh, our strength and conditioning staff needing to get some of these guys bulked up. We need to see more explosiveness out of, out of some of these players in order to take that leap. Uh, because that's really what we're banking on right now. We are banking on Jeremiah Davenport essentially becoming a conference a, a conference player of the year level talent, which can happen. We, we, I think we talked about it last, last week. It can, but that's what we're banking on. You're saying that that's going to happen. He's going to make the jump from the 12 points a game this year to averaging 18, 19 points a game. 
or and then on the, on the converse side, you're seeing Tari Eason is also going to be taking that leap to where he's going to become an also an elite level player. Because right now we have a bunch of good players that are developing, but none of them have taken that next step to saying you're elite. And that's where I'm worried about next year is that we're, we're, we're hoping to see that happen. We don't know what's going to happen. We also, at the beginning of the year, just to, to throw shade to ourselves, this is how much we don't know what's going to happen. We did say Jeremiah Davenport was mixing in the mixing of the match of the, the fringes of the team, and he turns out to be one of the most important, if not the most important player. We didn't say fringes of the team. We're what I mean by that is, is odd man out. Odd man, odd out, man out. Yeah. So, so basically, but he... But, he let me push back. Let me let me push back though, because there is there is talent on the team. You don't have to have the um, the conference player of the year to be a really good team in this conference. It's a weak conference. We talked about this all year. We talked about the fact that outside of Houston, there was no team that scared us, and that once you're in the conference tournament, we could beat anybody. And that is exactly what proved true. Wichita State was probably the weakest winning the weakest regular season conference champion in the history of the conference. I'm, I'm ready to say that. Like, that, that is not a great team. And that is not a team that scares you. And proved out on the court. Like, we, we were just as good as that team when you watch us play. So Wichita we didn't have State... Keith, we didn't have Keith Williams on the court for, for a whole half, and they still right. couldn't just do anything. <laughs> right. So this conference isn't... It's not a, this was not a tough conference this year. It was not a very good conference this year. There's one elite team in the conference and they beat us by an average of 37.5 points in two games this season. Like, Wait, let me check your math. Let me check your math. 38, 37, divided by two. Yes. 37 and a half. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I, we joked before we didn't joke. We were planning the podcast out to an extent. We don't plan a lot out. We know kind of which direction we're going to take this in. And we, but we spent some time saying like, all right, let's make sure we're hitting on this topic and this topic, get it, you know, talk about the Wichita state and SMU victories, talk about the Houston loss, talk about the, how your the overall outlook going into the future. We haven't actually talked about some of the positive that we saw this weekend and experienced this weekend, which I think we should, because it leads to another important point, but the performances against SMU and Wichita state were awesome defensively it looked like a completely different team than the one we had seen for 20 games this season the activity level defensively the guards micah adams woods and, and mike saunders jr were defending their asses off i thought tari eason was showing that he is he's the kind of player that could win multiple defensive player of the year awards in this conference he can block everything his arms and hands get on every ball in the lane He's a, he's a Venus flytrap on the boards. Those things, and then Mason Madsen with his jump shot and the, the threat that he poses on the court and how much chaos that can call, cause for an opponent. There was, it felt different. Those two games felt different than every other game this season because the team had taken its intensity level up to a different place, a place we had not seen this entire season. And it demonstrated to me there was and is enough talent on the team to be better than 10 and 10 in the regular season. We've said that all year. That's been our gripe about this. The but it whole was season. proof. It was proof Hummer. And so when people say, I think people actually interpreted those performances incorrectly. The takeaway from those two games isn't see you guys are idiots for daring to doubt John Brandon. How dare you? What are you going to say now? 
What are you going to say about this? Look at us. We beat SMU. We beat Wichita State. And what we say, Hummer? Yeah, that's the point. That was our point. We could have been beating these teams all year. Yeah, the point is we didn't need to to lose a game at home to USF, 74-71. We should not be losing at Georgia by 20 – was it 25 points? No, 15 points, 17 points, whatever that final ended up being. 8368. UCF losing by, losing by seven to UCF, losing the four to Tulsa, Tennessee. We were in that game up until the final minutes. So the 10 point victory or the nine point victory there doesn't look as big when you look at the game as a whole. That's a game we could win. Xavier, Xavier is Xavier's a crap team. Let's be real. So are we though, <laughs> but they were a crap team. They're, but we're they're not. not. We played like it. We played. Well, sorry. Let me, rephrase, let, me re, let me rephrase that. We should have beat Xavier. We have the talent to beat Xavier. We're a better, we are a better team than Xavier, but we weren't there. And it's like, and I kept saying this at the beginning of the season, I'm sick and tired of hearing, well, we, you know, we got to install the, we got to do that. At the end of the day, Houston put two things together both times we played them. Our defense is not good. It looked good for two games and they, put, they pulled it together. And I don't know if that's because of John Brandon or in spite of John Brandon, because there are at times where we watched that SMU game. And I think I, or no, it was Wichita state. I actually texted you this. We're weeding. It's a tight game. There's two minutes and 50 seconds left. And Chris votes on the, on the bench. And I'm like, we better not see Chris vote on the floor. The rest of the, the rest of the, the rest of the game SMU we're up by seven. I think it was we're, we're leading by seven and you sent me a text saying, what's, what's the common denominator right now? And I said, I think I said it was that Jeremiah Davenport wasn't in the game, but he said, no, Tari Eason isn't in the game. Chris vote was in the game that, that, and all of a sudden you see this cascading effect of all of a sudden SMU gets a quick six points. They bring the game. It's tie. It's close now. Why? Because John Brandon refuses to see the light, which is Chris vote is a detriment to this team when he's on the court. Tari Eason for all the matrix is the most important cog. He is literally the rebounder of the team. He is the guy who goes in and just can wreak havoc on the boards when he's engaged. This he, He's amazing, frankly. I, I can't, he, his stats may not show it this year in terms of like, you know, points scored and whatnot, but what he did in terms of being a valuable piece and making sure this team has a chance to win is so understated. And the fact that John Brannon re- routinely all year insisted on – putting Chris Vogt in. The fact that Chris Vogt had the start tonight was mind-boggling. Like, we don't need a seven-footer just because it's a jump ball. You get four minutes of time of Chris Vogt in, and they get seven, a good jump out of a seven-point lead. I don't think the result is of the game is going to change by Chris Vogt starting tonight. That's not what I'm saying. But put your best team on the court. Tari Eason is part of the best team. He should be starting. He should have been starting almost all season. The fact that we also have a guy like Mamadou Diara – he was more athletic than Chris Vogt. And this is where I got to apologize to you because I kind of gave you a little crap for this earlier in the year. Thank you. Thank you. And now I'm seeing the light of Please what Please apologize. I am apologizing. What we did wrong throughout the season with Mamadou Diara was not letting him play and develop. We sat him on the bench. He didn't play, what, the last three, four games? He just didn't play. We didn't, get, we didn't play him at all. And that's a shame. And you know what? I'm so happy for Mamadou to go out there tonight with a, not a care in the world and say, you know what, John, I'm letting this fly. Let I'm, that thing fly. Fly. <laughs> I'm so happy he did that. But that's where I think there's some stuff that we went wrong with. Look, if we knew this was a rebuilding year, if that's the game plan, if that's what everybody wants to go with, why weren't the freshmen playing from day one? 
because why weren't they playing from day one? It was not a rebuilding year. This was not a rebuilding year. And don't let anybody tell you that this is not a rebuilding season. John Brandon didn't recruit this off season as though it was a rebuilding season. In fact, we, we ended up taking on Rapalus Ivanowskis as a grad transfer because he is a quick stopgap type player who you fill in and get immediate production from. But that was a complete miss in terms of talent evaluation and roster evaluation and roster construct. He and Chris Vogt can never play together. He could, they could never play together successfully and have a good team. Um, no, I, I, you make a lot of good points. I think it's what I want to say and make clear about Mamadou is I'm not trying to make it seem like I think Mamadou Diora solves literally every problem this team has. He was and is more athletic. He's a better rebounder. He has way more defensive upside. He's a better shooter. And the shooting is real. You know, when I called into the radio show and said, when are we going to see Mamadou Diara let that thing fly? You were I was serious. And you were dismissed. But I was serious because we've seen it. The guy has a jump shot. Like, he can stroke it from three. It's nice. John Brandon had no interest in putting in the time and effort and, and individual development and in making Mamadou Diara an effective player for this team. What if Mamadou Diara gets the type of minutes Chris Vogt consistently got over the last two years? What if Mamadou Diara had the type of extended 16 to 24 foot leash that Chris Vogt had, where you can go on the court and, and drop the ball and turn it over and not make plays and you still get to work it out and get experience on the court and figure out how to be an effective player. What if that happened? What if, what if you were a player that people hesitated to throw the ball to you too? What if you were a player who routine routinely when the ball was thrown into you, it was a, it was considered a turnover today. They perfect example. The first three possessions of the game, a, a, two of them were offensive fouls committed by Chris Vogt. One of them may have been questionable, whatever fine the other ones were literally a pass to him it, hand check hand check and i'm sorry we're kind of letting loose on this issue, like i feel like right now but it, it's just it's so frustrating like you said why why are you so willing to give him a long leash but but mamadou has the leashes that's as short as the nearest floorboard that his big toe is standing on when he's on the sideline you know it's it's ridiculous when you think about that at the end of the day, think about this way too. Think about this. The freshmen, as good as they are, like they're amazing. Can we we agree with that? That's like the shining bright spot here is our freshmen. The, the entire, the, the young guys who are on the team, it's it's exciting. 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 And that's why, that's why I was giddy watching SMU in Wichita State. Like giddy, cackling, <laughs> laughing at moments during that game because of how exciting it is to think about these guys developing in Bearcat uniforms over the next several years. Well, let me ask you a question. At what point in the season was it that we actually started seeing all the young guys, freshmen, getting routine minutes and actually having a defined role on the team in order to get to the point to where basically freshmen and sophomores, and I'm not going to, I don't want to throw Keith under the bus too much because, you know, he, he's a, he's a, he's going to be a bear. He's a Bearcat legend. He's a Bearcat great. He's, he's a legend. And I, say, I mean, let, I want to no, be careful with the word legend. 
You know, no, like le- look, legend, legend is, is special, man. He was a part of, he was a part of teams that did, that did special things. In my opinion, winning conference championships, winning conference championship games. So in my eyes, Keith, Keith, Keith is a legend. I'm not saying he's going to get a Jersey on the wall. No, no, I'll give it to one. you. He has, especially cause he has legendary moments like dunking yes. on two Memphis players, the steal and dunk against Houston. And he, he, he basically, he USF deserves, his, game. Own, he deserves yeah. his own episode in the off season dedicated to the entire career of, of Keith Williams. He, he's earned that. You can't really say that. Unfortunately about mom and do, I can't, I don't think I have enough, enough in me to talk for, I guess we are talking about it for 30 minutes now, but no, um, but there's a point in the season where you start seeing all those guys starting to play together. They're getting their minutes and they're developing and they're getting better and they're taking strides. We saw, you know, Mason Madsen was, was basically not even a part of the team to that. Like the first 10 games of the season, Right. We get back from COVID. All of a sudden he starts, his minutes are picking up. He starts hitting nailing jump shots. He starts hitting threes. Now all of a sudden you get ESPN broadcasters talking about, man, you need to get Mason Madsen here because that kid's automatic. That kid, that kid causes the defense to have to guard him when he's out there and it leaves the inside paint open, you know? And it's like, okay, if that's the case and we knew this and for everybody, like I'm going back to it for everybody who said that this was a rebuilding season, I'm calling bullshit on that because if it was a rebuilding season, you would have been playing the freshman from Lidscombe on and you wouldn't have stopped hell yeah homer rebuilding there's such there's so much gray between being expecting to be a conference champion like we never expected to be better than houston this season no no but there's a lot of room in there between being houston a top 10 team and rebuilding this team was built to be competitive it was built to be a team that could compete to be on the bubble or be a a potential low seed tournament team. And we weren't anywhere near that. And so think, uh, think about these first two years and there's a lot of players on the team. We like there's talent that we think we can build around into the future. But of these last two seasons, one of which was loaded with Jaron Cumberland, Trey Scott, Javen Cumberland, a team that was ready to compete for not only a tournament berth, but a tournament run. And then you have this team, which is kind of a little bit a little bit younger, but clearly there's talent that's popping off the page. John Brandon did a great job with the recruit, recruiting class for 2020. Tari Eason, Gabe Madsen, Mason Madsen, Victor Locke, and Mike Saunders Jr. Well, he, he, his first two recruiting classes, I would say, were are a success. Are so a far. success, right? Uh, I'm giving but, him. I'm giving him that. Absolutely, 100%. he earned it because he did a good job recruiting those first two years. Yeah, hundred percent. Did he maximize the talent and the roster for either of these first two seasons? Did he pull every single ounce of success that he could out of the, the out of the circumstances he was given? He didn't. And so here's 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 what I'm, I'm like. This thought just kind of crossed through my head. Do you know who we need to see take their junior leap? The, the junior leap. We need to see John Brandon take the junior leap. We need to see him go from being a sophomore coach. Cause let, let's face it. Uh, we were talking about this before we hopped on here, Northern Kentucky. Look, all you have to do is when you're, when you're horizon league conference, I know I, I'm making it sound like it's, you know, all easy peasy. Um, but if you're a top tier coach, you should look at Rick Pitino first year, first year at Iona runs the league over is in the NCAA tournament. Rick Pitino and Iona will never miss 
an NCAA tournament, and they will more than likely never have an at-large bid. They will get into the tournament by winning their conference championship every year. That's not how Cincinnati gets into the tournament. We don't put our hopes on the last three games of the year. That's, that's, not, that's not our game plan. We want to be at-large bids. So I think next year the key to success is John Brandon taking that leap. Right now, I think it's going to play into his favor because of one reason and one reason only. Well, that's me knocking on wood right there. If, if certain players don't return, he can't play them. So his hand is kind of forced. John Brandon was at his best this year when his hand was forced to do something. When his hand was forced to go to a small ball lineup, that that's when that's when we see and, he, and I say force because we all know John Brandon would have punished us all year of making us watch us feed the ball down low into Chris Vote had he not been had Chris Vote not been getting into foul trouble consistently every single game. I agree with that. I agree that opt outs and, and foul trouble definitely pointed him into a direction that was that led to more success on the court, and that the idea of a leap is interesting from the coach because yes, coaches can get better too. And that's why it is completely fair game to criticize a coach. Who's, who's done a average at best job so far, average at best. That is how I would describe the first two seasons of John Brandon. I like that. It's a little, it's optimistic too. Cause you're saying right. Look, there is room for growth. There's room for growth here guys. Okay. Like, you know, yes, I know we tied Tulsa. I feel better now. I feel better. <laughs> I know we tied Tulsa for a regular season conference championship last season. But I also remember how last season felt. It felt stressful and, you know, a bit uninspired. It felt like we weren't getting what we should have out of these guys. It felt like, hey, there's a weird dynamic going on here with Brandon and Cumberland. What's the deal here? Why is he he's so coy about Cumberland's health and what he's doing behind the scenes and how we're using him? And then we find out, yeah, their relationship's not great at all. It was terrible. And and Cumberland made that very clear this season in, in, in social media posts. All right, Hummer. Half, after that first 30 minutes, I don't even know how exactly how long it was. We're ballparking 30 minutes. We both kind of realized, like, hey, we, we have the same opinion here. We're both on the side of of John Brandon largely underachieving during his first two years with the Bearcats and that he's not pulling as much out of this team and players as, as he should be doing and as proven by the SMU and Wichita State games. So we decided to call a new friend of the podcast. Brent Young from the Bearcat Journal has joined the podcast to talk, talk about the Bearcats here for the last half of this podcast let's say brent thanks for joining the podcast sir happy to be on thanks for having me uh all all sunshine and rainbows over here let's put it that way right right and and i called you specifically because we know you know you're known as the eternal optimist uh from bearcat journal land and, and anybody who reads the content over there is very familiar with your work both with football and basketball and it's always good to have a countering opinion and so coming off of the the second you know very substantial loss to the University of Houston. Right. I'm wondering, the season's over, right? We, we now know, as we recorded this, that we're not going to get an invite to the NIT. 
and that is essentially formally ending our season of basketball. Do we know about year. the CBI? It's a CBI thing. <laughs> is there it's anything happening? CBI, in the, is there anything CSC, happening in all the other ones? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But, but what? How are you feeling? Like you're leaving this game. We've lost the championship. We're not making the NCAA tournament. The streak is officially over. How are you feeling? You know, it it took me a while actually, because because I am yes, and an eternal optimist. There's no doubt about that. But I also am a fan deep down. So I get sad, especially at the end of season. Sad. Uh, I I don't think I tweeted at all in the second half during the game. I don't even think I I looked at Twitter after the game ended. Really, hopped on the uh, the the press conference with John, and then aside from that, kind of. Stayed away. I did watch Selection Show. They uh, they mentioned Cincinnati a couple times just because of Houston, obviously. But, um, you know, <laughs> that game took, it, as I'm sure you guys touched on, took took some wind out of the sails. Uh, you know, it, it really dampened what was a very strong AAC tournament. I, I mean, you look at those first two games, not only is SMU and Wichita State two teams that were solid, and, and yes, SMU was coming off that long COVID break, but these are two teams that were fighting to get into the tournament. Two two bubble teams. We saw Wichita State was one of you know the last four in, and that it was a must win for them. These are must win situations. Two really good teams, and Cincinnati came out and they won the game. Especially that second half against Wichita State, you saw the youth movement yet again with no Keith Williams available. Um, it it kind I of like escaped you glimpse into the future. What, what was that? I like that the youth movement. Yeah, the youth <laughs> movement. Yeah, it, it's. It's honestly, I, I look at it as something positive to build on. And if maybe you could have said, hey, the season was over after the Wichita State win, something crazy happened and the Houston game didn't even happen, that would have been great. But uh, Houston game did happen. And like John said in the post game, it, it, they ran into a buzzsaw. Uh, Houston is final four good. And they showed it today. There's no doubt about that. Do you have any... I think one of the big things that kind of I can't get past is when we lost to Houston at their place by 38 points, you know, and we acknowledged openly that we recorded a podcast that got a lot of you know traction in terms of being divisive on certain opinions and whatnot, but you can actually move past mentally that kind of loss, just kind of chalking it up to a, a variety of circumstances, roster turnover, bad timing, Houston's coming off a loss. And, and, you know, just getting outplayed, a bad day for our players. And your hope is that when you get a chance to play that team again, you, you put up a much better fight. I mean, how concerned are you that we, we get this matchup again? It's with the easily clear-cut best team in the conference, and we get beat by 37 points. Same yeah. result. You know, it's, it's, we weren't able to scheme or maybe scheme is the wrong word, but, but, you know, get prepared for this opponent in a way that came up with solutions that made us a bit more competitive than close to a 40 point loss. Yeah. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. Um, the adjustments kind of seemed like they were there uh, trying to just completely eliminate offensive rebounds. You know, they did a decent job of that. I, I think what happened in this game was, I mean, they're, they're, they're making numerous, numerous tough outside shots and then they're knocking down the wide open ones on top of that. So, I mean, this is a Houston team where, Sometimes they hit, you know, 10 or more threes. They, I think they did it about eight times this year. But when they do that, they, they obliterate opponents. And that's when they're at their best is when they're knocking down those shots. And, and I mean, the way that, you know, Dejan Giroux is not 
a lights out three point shooter. His threes in the first half were huge. Uh, it's kind of a little bit of a pace for the game where it was set like, okay, well, we're going to try and throw this zone at them. They're taking that away with a three point shot. We're going to try and go back to man while they're driving past us and, you know, Sasser's hitting from inside of the lane, things of that sort. I, it just seemed like they tried everything they could, but maybe Houston is the worst possible matchup for these Bearcats. I, I, I don't know what it is. I, it's strange because I, I talked about it with my friends as well. It's like Houston lost to ECU. Houston lost to Tulsa. You know, Houston even lost to Wichita State, which is obviously a tournament team. But, you know, what what is it that they did to lose to these teams and then all of a sudden just blow out Cincinnati and I guess the consensus really is that they're going to sleepwalk. They could sleepwalk through ECU and Tulsa. They're not going to sleepwalk through a matchup with Cincinnati. So maybe Houston got up a lot for it as well. Um, like you said, I, when you shoot 28%, 24 from three, and you let the other team shoot the way that they did, it's, it's not really about adjustments after that. It's more about who's knocking down shots and who was the better team. And Houston by far was for, both of those games just got to make some shots so <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you're right we can't we can't really spend too much time analyzing this specific game because there's not much to analyze we got no. we got our asses right. handed, handed to us uh absolute beat down for the second time against this specific team so if we move it to a bigger picture place and uh, you know a lot of people it seems Bearcat fandom right now is extremely polarized and it has to be this sort of all or nothing take where it's either the future is incredibly bright. There's no reason to be concerned at all. Everything here is wonderful. These are not the droids you're looking for. And then there's the other take of, you know, the the extreme is, you know, we need a new head coach, which is not at all what anybody on this podcast is saying. Okay. Where do you fall though? Let's just be clear. We're not there right now <laughs> no we're not there because but not, i but not, i do we're not, wonder we're not that close to it yet i mean there's some things that if if things you never know but we're not there that's not what we're calling for <laughs> we're looking for improvements that's what we're looking for yeah yeah so i so i do i, I basically set that up this long-winded explanation of kind of asking in terms of thinking whether the future is bright whether there's what kind of concerns you have where do you fall in that spectrum and how are you evaluating the prospects of this team and the performance of our coach. Well, you know, if you listen to my preview of the team, it was, uh, that was one that I might need to burn the tapes as well. Uh, so it, not a very good talent evaluator of uh, no. thinking. I, I had aspirations that this team was going to be really good and um, kind of no fell way. flat on the face. But at the end of the year, I mean, kind of the, the game against SMU, game against Wichita State earlier this week kind of was, what I saw at the beginning of the season, um, just kind of how the different pieces could really work if they all played well. Now you take out Zach Harvey, obviously you take out rap and, and the other pieces that were on the team, but still you look at it and I'm kind of on the side of they're going to improve. And you look at the teams that they beat, the teams that they were competing with, they're going to be right there for a tournament next year. And it's going to be just, just by simply bringing everyone back minus Keith, Minus Chris Vogt, potentially, you know, I know there's smoke around his name, but nothing, nothing. No, 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 no. Are you reporting? Are you reporting breaking news? No, I'm not reporting any breaking news. No. Sorry. That was part. I I think we spent, I think we spent 15 of the 30 minutes on, on that topic. Um, Stop. 
Everybody knows our feelings about it, right? It's not a secret. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I applaud all of them for what they did. Mamadou DR as well. You, you showed, you know, you wore the Bearcat jersey with pride, had some good games throughout your careers. But still, if that core, that that core of returning players with David DeJulius being a senior leader and you you really add just what one big man, um, a, a long athletic wing is what Coach Jason G said in the uh, postgame interview. And, you know, you add, you know, a potential other transfer who possibly could just fill another role. I mean, you're looking at a team that is that beat Wichita State without Keith Williams in the second half, you, you know, beat SMU at. It's like they're they're hanging with every team that they played except for Houston, and then you can throw Georgia in there as well. But that was a weird game. But they played with every single team consistently, day in and day out. So I I'm on the side of cautiously optimistic, I guess you could say. Um, I think that they're going to get better. I think they have to get better uh, because these these kids showed throughout. I mean, look at Mikey Saunders at the beginning of the year. Would you think that he was going to be the Mikey Saunders he was at the end of the year. I mean, what he did against, you know, SMU and against Memphis kind of just tells me, hey, I, like this is going to be a player that's going to be making a huge, huge impact on this team in the very near future like he did at certain times. And then, of course, you know, Tari Eason, he's going to get a little bit lighter of a, of a whistle as his career wears on I, I'm on the side of cautiously optimistic, but they have to hit some home runs in the transfer portal. And, you know, if they decide to go after a high school kid or two as well. So I guess the only caution that I have is, of course, the fact that they don't have anyone signed or anyone coming in at this point. But they're constantly working on it. And if they get one or two that kind of hit, I think the core is there to have a pretty good team next year. See, my, my worry, my worry is that if I'm going through the chart of who's returning and we're assuming everybody is right. We're, we're, yeah. So we're, we're going, we're going Jeremiah Davenport, Mike Saunders, Jr. Ma, Tari Eason, Mason Madsen, David DeJulius. Those are the, the six that have gotten playing time this year, right. whether you're fresh or not significant playing time. Then you move on. You got Victor Watkin coming in and yep. then Gabe, while it's still a question mark, we're assuming he's coming back and, but they both don't have playing time. So you're literally looking at freshmen who do what's their impact going to be. You don't know. You just don't know. So what, what I'm, what I'm nervous about is that we have a lack of depth already. And we're seeing, we actually kind of saw maybe how that played out a little bit today, even though it was the same result as the Houston game the first time, you know, mm-hmm. there probably was a little element of fatigue with, with right. this particular game. That was a bigger impact than it was the first time around. Um, so when you have these six players, you're literally going to be pulling guys from a transfer portal and you're going to be saying, Hey, I need two of you guys to be two or three of you guys more likely to be David, the Julie, David, the Julius esque. Like yeah. you're going to come in, we're going to give you, tw- you're, you're going to play 20 minutes a game, 15, 20 minutes a game, and you have to be an impact and you have to be good and you can't whiff on any of them. So to me, that's the scary part. And even if they do do that, I think they're going to have to do a better job. And this is where I think Brandon needs to take that leap that we're talking about, where we, we've already mentioned this, uh, the junior leap. They're going to have to evaluate what's going to fit into the lineup better than what they've done with some of these past transfers, a la Jay Sirola and Victor, or Victor uh, Rapolis. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's where I'm kind of nervous, where I'm like a little apprehensive of saying, okay, 
I'm not worried. I can't say that because I am worried that you get three guys from transfer portal or something, all of a sudden one of them's a whiff, and then we're we're stuck with no depth in on this team. Yeah, I think listening to what you just said, I you you laid out a pretty good recruiting pitch. You know, you you walk into a potential transfers room and you say, Hey, we need you to come in, play 25 minutes, and have a very big impact on this team. I think some transfers are gonna hear that and say, Yeah, I that, that's exactly what I want. So Let's let's make it work. Um, yeah, I'm Brandon. I mean, give me a call. I'm I'm happy to join the recruiting team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yes, th- they have hit on a few transfers. I I'd say what you know. I I think Javen was good. Um, fit a role. I thought okay. that. Yeah, and and then obviously David. Uh, but aside from that, Rat was Rat wanted to play the four man. That <laughs> that is what Rat wanted to do. And when he was told that. He needs to play the five. It was time to go play pro ball. So um, that was a weird one. And then same with Jay Sarola, man. I just very weird. But still, if you are able to uh, say you bring in, you know, three transfers, right? And only one of those three really fit that starter mold. And the other two are kind of just, you know, bench players, but they provide decent minutes. I think that's kind of what you need. I get one home run put it with the the core that you have intact. You know, Coach G said that he wants to have a focus on moving Jeremiah Davenport to the three full-time. So I, you kind of are able to have Tari back at the four, and you kind of just go for that big man. And who knows, if it comes out and starts averaging 15 and 10 and blowing our minds and creating crazy YouTube videos in the process, then, I, I mean, I'm all aboard on that. But, yes, you definitely need to hit a home run with, with one of the transfers and – but there's ample playing time. There's ample, you know, we need you. You're going to be high usage. So those are things that these transfers want to hear. How many transfers do you think we're going after? Like what, what's that number of guys that we're looking to, to bring on? I'd, I'd say three transfers, probably um, two multi-year guys, one grad, I would say. And th- this is just complete guesswork. Oh and yeah. This is, this is all high kind, kind of following it. Yeah. And, and then I'd say probably one, one high school player that they kind of, more of a they see a future in him than than coming in and making a complete you're, you're saying like one one actual recruit and i think what's uh i can't remember the name of the guy who's on the radar right now we still have a, a recruit on the hook for the 21 class um why am i drawing a blank for we don't oh, have any time yeah we have one that hasn't de- hasn't decided yet and i know we're I, it's on the bearcat turn i can't think of who Bryce it is. spell yes yeah oh uh, you know, so we still have that someone, someone on the hook for, for, for that. But what I'm, I guess what I'm thinking is, is you got to get a big, maybe even two, because you're not sure if Victor is going to be quite ready. And, right. and if you only bring one on what you don't want to see, in my opinion, is having to have Tari stuck in the role at five. That's not a good use of his, of his skill set to have him be a, 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 just a five. It's actually a great use of his skill set, but he doesn't <laughs> want to do it full time. And I get that. Like I, I, I envision him sort of being deployed as like a dream on green type dude where you, you can get spells of him at the five and it's deadly because of how skilled he is, but you don't want him to be your full-time five taking the wear and tear that comes with that. Yeah. It, well, I mean, you saw his one drive on uh, Morgi Desi in that Wichita State game. It, that's where you have a match, you know, a mismatch. But still, like you said, I, that, that's a big reason for his fouls as well. He kind of tries to body up the bigger fives and and that's when you see – a quick ticky tack called on him. So yeah, I think the more that he plays the four, the better. Um, 
Sad thing is, we don't know about Victor. I, I mean, in pregame, he's knocking down every three he takes. But, <laughs> I mean, that's about it we can give you. We're running into so. the same situation, he wants to play the four. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> exactly. And if not, he's, he's going back to Russia. But he no, is, no. He is going to fill that content creation void that's going to be left by Mamadou Diara departing, which, by the way, is right. only an assumption based on him being a senior on senior night. But um, he does make – it's very, it's very uh, vague – open to interpret interpretation. It's kind of like performance art type stuff on YouTube. I would just recommend it. He does. Checking he it. does. Yeah. It, it, just like Mamadou. And I mean, how about the game Mamadou had today? I just don't got to tell me twice, Brent. This is the, this is what I've been preaching all season long. Mamadou DR would have changed our entire prospects. We spent, <laughs> we, we spent seven. Minutes. I think we spent a good seven, eight minutes on Mamadou uh, in our, in our rant. I mean, I'm being facetious, yeah. but no, I mean, he, he can shoot the ball. I was, I have, I was surprised this year that we didn't find a way to get him more open yeah. looks, maybe one or two looks a game. That's, I mean, that's it. He wasn't right. going to be a go-to guy, but he can knock down an open shot. Yeah. You know, you know, Coomer called into the radio show and, <laughs> and specifically asked John Brandon when, when he's going to let mama do let it fly. Really? <laughs> was that last year? Or was that this year? That was this that was- year. That's fantastic. And when are we going to see Mama do let that thing fly? And uh, <laughs> that is fantastic. Didn't, what didn't, was his answer? <laughs> he he poured less. It was a two part question. That was the yeah. second part. That part got ignored. Uh, he, <laughs> okay. he, he just missed he it. He chuckled. He <laughs> chuckled as I asked the question. Um, yeah, John's John's pretty good at that. <laughs> We saw we saw Mamadou shooting eighty percent from three at the end of last season. Yeah. Uh, when are we <laughs> yeah. going to let that thing fly? Right. <laughs> so Perfect. I, I kind of want to I want to take a couple steps back here. Actually, before we do that, the, the transfer talk to kind of put a to put a bow on it. What's yeah. interesting is our core is so young and good. If we're projecting right. onward, that especially you made a good point about Mike Saunders getting better from game one to game twenty three, that he looked like a completely different player than he did early in the season. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah Davenport improved in similar ways, yep. where during the season you're seeing jumps in his in his game, and he's adding new nuances to what he can do offensively. So you've got Davenport Saunders, Adams Woods, and uh, Eason, and who was the last one? DeJulius. Yeah. Those aren't incidental guys. Those are guys who are going to play pretty significant minutes. Right. So it's almost like in the transfer market, we have to target role players, basically. I mean, yeah. if you can get a stud, great, but there's not a clear opportunity to just come in and, be, and, come, and get your 15 shots a game. I think there is from a, from a, cause we need a five, we need a big yeah. man. So the, the, yeah. the pitch is to the big man. The pitch is right. to the big man for sure. There's a clear pitch to the, to a center to say, look, you, you can slide right in here and these minutes are yours period. Yeah. Perfect one would be a rim running, you know, great shot blocker. And then just come in and fill that role. But also you're going to get a lot of minutes. You're going to get a lot of exposure as well. Um, yeah. But like what you're saying, there's not much like, Hey, you're going to come in and start day one on the wing and, and your average 15 points. If you know, like you no, said, I want, I want a low usage athletic center who can defend his ass off basically. Right. Be like right. a, be a junkyard dog where you're getting in there and you're grabbing boards and defending. And the way you get fed is by getting offensive rebounds and putbacks. I want Joel Embiid. Just- I don't know what you're talking about. John. I want a guy who can do it all. Right. I want to be able to take the ball from the top. I want him to drive. I want him to shoot threes and I want him to block everything that gets close to the rim. That's what I want. Yeah. Don't Sign hold your up. breath. Don't hold your breath, my friend. <laughs> so anyway, that's just an interesting development. Cause it, it does maybe take a, maybe it makes it 
a little easier to fill in the gaps because you're looking more for the J- the Javen Cumberland types who just have maybe a, a specific skill set where they bring it in and it, it meshes well with with go-to players who are already established within the program. We need more shooters. I think that's what we need from a role player. We need guys that just have have a shot that they can they can just knock down that corner three if they're open. I feel like that's that's where we saw spurts of that from Mike Saunders Jr. Uh, towards the end of the season, but then we saw him cool off over over the last couple games. And they pointed out today, you brought Mason Madsen in. He's a guy that you know they're going to defend on any kind of open shot. So it, it shifts the whole defense. But they left Mikey Saunders open on purpose. Um, yeah. As, yeah. You know, so I think that's what you need to look for in a role player if you're going to the transfer portal. You need to just get a guy who can come in, instant offense off the bench, and it doesn't have to be creating shots for others. Just basically, he's open, get in the ball, he'll, he'll shoot it. Yeah, if Gabe so, comes, if Gabe comes back. We need to fill Zach Harvey's role. We'll have three. We'll have three shooters if Gabe comes back. If not, we've got Mason and Davenport, Saunders, DeJulius, Eason. Can they hit a three? Yes. Do you want them to be high volume shooters? Probably not. Unless it gets okay with Micah too. And Micah out there. True. Okay, you're right. Good point. Mike, Micah was an oversight. Micah would definitely count as a shooter as well. Yeah, and I I think the the whole sagging off of Mikey today was was pretty big, obviously because. He had confidence in a shot because he made some, but when you miss those, it kind of just, that was when Houston was putting together that, that, that big spread that they had. So, I mean, but he's working on it. You know, that was the one bugaboo of his game in high school and you can tell that it's gotten a lot better. And so uh, hopefully that just improves going in. There's a big difference between catching it on the, in the, in the corner as like a catch and shoot, let it fly opportunity versus a I'm dribbling at the top of the key and wow they're giving me six feet of space. Right. I should shoot it, but I really don't want to do this. And I haven't yeah. worked on this very much. Yeah, no, I agree completely. So I want to give you a little bit of a break here. And I'm, I'm going back to something you said um, before we got into the transfer talk, which is your prediction piece about where this season would go and that you had higher expectations. Can you, what, what were your expectations? I think ours were about 15 and 10, maybe, maybe working our way to being like a bubble team. Mine was uh, not enough respect, going to finish in the top three, possibly two of the AAC, and make the tournament. Um, what if you weren't wrong? What if you weren't wrong about the talent on the team and that it is a team that should have been in the, in that, that, at that level? Is there any credence to the fact that maybe John Brandon didn't get enough out of this team? You know, that's a good point. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is you saw each one uh, – you know, you look at this team, and they had, they had six players that scored at least 19 points or more in one game. I don't think you can look around the country and see many other situations where that was an occurrence. I think that you just didn't really have a moment where they all meshed it together as one. It was kind of just, ah, uh, this is the David DeJulius game. This is the Tari Eason game. This is the Jeremiah Davenport, you know, Multiple. continuation of his games. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think that what it was was just a young group trying to figure out how to play together. And I, I don't think I brought into the fact that just how young they really are and probably kind of gave a little bit more of a credit to thinking Keith could be a little bit more of a creator. I mean, by the end of the year, he, he, was, he was doing it the the really year. well and, and making the right decision, but he tried to do so much in the beginning and it, it really kind of hampered some of those games. I think the, the talent was all there. I just think that there were so many different 
pieces that they just didn't figure out how to how to make the puzzle work until the roster was trimmed down to eight. And then you kind of have to make it work. And so I think once you saw that, you saw each individual talent kind of flourish a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, that the pieces are there. I it just this is where I want to challenge just a little bit, because I, I think I pointed this out throughout the season that the best games we played was when every single player was contributing. Right. And I think I got I got flack from some people online for I think I said that at the time the UCF win by one point was the best game we had played all year up yeah. until that point. And people were like, oh, I thought we played better in Tennessee and we lost to Tennessee. But the reason why I thought we played so good in that game, and I think this was one of the first games Mike Saunders Jr. started was, and yes, I know our feelings on Chris Vogt, but Chris Vogt had 11. Davenport had a bad game. He had five, but then DeJulius had 14. Keith Williams had 14. Madsen had eight. Michael Adams Wood had 13. You know, you saw these players that are all contributing. So it wasn't just one person coming in, but then you go back to SMU and this game that we just played Davenport, 19 Saunders, 12, Mike Adams Woods, 10, Keith Williams, 14, Eason, nine. That is when we play the best is when every player is contributing and everybody, every player is, is hitting their role that, that they're assigned. And, that's 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 basically it. I guess that's my only point is my, my pushback is we did have those games this year and we yeah. had a lot of them towards towards the end. I think the biggest deficiency this team had at times was the on the defensive side of the ball. And that's probably where I guess for lack of a better term, I get butt hurt the most is that is that defensive effort sometimes when you're seeing this team and you're just like, what are you doing? Like even today against Houston, like you have a this isn't the first time you played them. You know that Grimes and Saucer are just going to drop threes whenever you leave them wide open, no matter how far behind the arc they are. Right. Why aren't we in their face the minute they get the ball? Like, you know, and it's just, we did that though against Wichita State and SMU. We played great defense those last two games. Best and, defense we played all year. And those yeah. two games are sort of the proof of, of what your predictions and expectations were, right? Like yes. those are the games where we actually saw connectivity defensively and we saw great rotations and effort and and it's not to say that that was our best offensive performances of the season they weren't but that's where it really showed you that that's what was holding us back all year was you just giving up these senseless layups and poor effort and bad rotations again and again and again and you know it's on our head coach to pull that out of the team earlier and more frequently out of these guys so that we're playing at a higher level for most of the season those two games, SMU and Wichita State, were the case that proved this team underachieved this year, right? Like 12 and 11 was not good enough for this team. And yes, that run in the tournament was exciting. And yes, it felt kind of like a hearkening back to the, the glory years. And I'm putting those that in air quotes because it's not the true glory years, but just being a top dog, being a force in our conference and being someone who's threatening to be, you know, a, a good tournament team. That's what it felt closer to. And that was the first time we had felt that all season. Yeah. And, you know, it's, people always point to the fact when they went on that little, you know, winning streak, point, point to the teams that they played and, and, you know, how they, they are the talented teams in the AAC. Well, you string together now wins against the teams that are near the top of the AAC and you do struggle against Houston. But you just see, if you are able to beat all these teams and then you just have one team that you can't beat, do you consider that success? You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of a, a tough thing where – because 
I hate how this game is the final game. And I, I don't know how any other way to put it because now all the positive look looks on the team, the outlooks, the, uh, you know, the improvements that they've made throughout the year. It's all just kind of washed away because it's, of this it's, one. It's not washed away though. I mean, it's, it's really not washed away well, because if they, it's like if on they Twitter had, among, among some of the, some of the fans, you know? yeah, but it, yeah. It, it would be Twitter, way Twitter's worse. A, Twitter, Twitter's a different animal, but can That's you imagine if they lost to SMU? If they lost to SMU and finished the year, oh. what would it be 10 and 11? I mean, that would be, we would have had no momentum from those two games. Right. And right. sure, but you it, wouldn't have had a, a beat down that, to Houston, but everything would have looked worse, I think. So I think yeah. it is, there is positive momentum. Lots of folks can see the talent, the youth, that all these players are so likable. It's just yeah. sort of like, eh, we need a little bit more out of our coach. Like we need our coach to figure out a way. I don't want to, I don't want to lean on, our head coach touting his conference tournament abilities. I want our coach to say, I can get this team to a high level early in the season and we're going to carry it throughout the season, get better like every other great college basketball team does, win our conference tournament, and then we're going to go to March and do some damage. That's like, it needs to be better than peaking at your conference tournament and fighting to get yeah. the tournament, right? Bare minimum, I want to be, I want to be Wichita State. I want to be able to lose in the semis yeah. And then get the bid and go crazy. That's the bare minimum, and you know that that's where I think we're at. That's where we went. We already talked about this, but the the scary part is like the ifs of next year. If if we hit the hit a home run in the grad in the transfer portal, which luckily for us the odds are probably in our favor because there's so much talent that's going to be in the portal this year. Right. Uh, it's just it's that if, and that's where I think the onus is on John Brannon that he has to do he has to do more than what he did in his first two years and i and i don't think i think it's fair to criticize him in that sense it's like hey look you were given the reigning conference player of the year the best defensive player in the league who also could have had we had those extra three or four games would have outscored keith williams on an average per game basis but because we had a shortened season i lost that bet um, <laughs> But you, you, you get what you. I'm saying. Like he get this. He he was given a good. Uh, those two players are just a good core. Those two alone, and yeah. he recreated a good recruiting class too. And yeah. then we had great players around him. Last year's team was even one that I would say underachieved because it wasn't a guarantee that that team was in the tournament either. It wasn't even guaranteed we were Wichita State. The consensus was we had to go in and win the conference tournament to get into the to get into uh to the the well, at large. Just ask. NCAA just ask Brent the question. Did John Brandon maximize? either team in his first two years do you think he got as much as he possibly could out of both one or, or either neither of these teams uh, you know i so i am on the side that actually thinks that they were gonna go to the tournament last year um he, you know just one win in in the conference tournament and and i think they were in I but agree. but that's a different talk for a different time but but i would so, still ask did, was that team as good as they should have been so uh, transitions are weird um, and you're going from truly a very different, just complete Mick was just defense, defense. Don't turn the ball over kind of very, just by the book. And, and, and if you, if you mess up, you know, you're going to get, you're going to hear about it. Well, John constantly talks about how he wants his teams to be free flowing and he wants them to be able to, you know, a lot of passing the high assist numbers and if you turn the ball over, it's okay. It's as long as you're trying to get, you know, the, the, the maximum out of each possession. So 
when you come in and you tell that to Trey Scott and to Jaron Cumberland and to, to Keith Williams and Mamadou Diara after they had just gone through three or, or you know, two or three years with Mick, it is going to be a big transition. Um, and then, of course, for, for Jaron, it was, it was another transition for him and, and coach as well. So about maximizing, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say because last year, man, they had some really close games all throughout the year. And especially that February was just insane. Um, this year, too. This year, too. I, but last year, if you start the season off a little better, you know, don't don't stumble against Bowling Green. Don't hiccup against, you know, don't have the cumber blunder against Colgate. <laughs> you're you're sitting there and you're actually in a good spot by the end of the year. But still, those those did happen. You got to figure those out. But about maximizing, I, I don't know what the potential of either team truly was because just trying to get all of those new pieces together, working as one in such quick timing. And then this year, I mean, this year, obviously, just the, the team was going through so much throughout the year. I It's hard to say that he didn't maximize it. Did Do I want them to win some, some more games? Yes. But I thought that what the team was able to do coming out of the COVID long break and, and ending into the season, I think that you saw that upward trajectory that, you know, that coach was talking about throughout the whole year, the, the ascension into March, if you will. Now do, do I wish it was an, an ascension into November and December and we're going to ride that high all the way through March? Yeah, of course. But I think with these teams, with all the new pieces, it was going to just be a slow grind. And then they get better, hopefully. I, I mean, if they would have been bad all year this year and, and maybe pulled out tough wins against, like, ECU and, you know, just, like, really tough, not pretty wins instead of looking pretty like they did in some of these games and winning at ECU by, by a, a sizable margin, beating Tulane by a sizable margin, then I'd say, yeah, I, I think that all these pieces didn't really morph too well. But – I don't know about maximizing it. It's, it's hard to say. I, I think mean, we did. Tepid, yes, maybe. I don't think, I don't know if you believe he maximized it, but it, it sounds tepid at best. Here's why the SMU and Wichita state wins were, were important narrative yes. wise, because otherwise we would have had 10 wins this season against Lipscomb, Furman, SMU. We would have had one good win there. Temple, Tulane, Temple and Tulane again, Tulsa, ECU. Right. And and no matter what your record is at that point, if those are the only teams you beat, you know, it's not, a, you're not puff. I don't get I don't get excited. Up. I don't get excited about beating East Carolina. I don't, I don't get excited yeah. about beating Temple except for last year when we beat them. Right. right. And that's why those victories yeah, were, they were good for the yeah. narrative. And I thought they also were a nice case study about, Hey, you know, we could have been playing better sooner. And right. There were a lot of factors that played into that. I thought Justin Williams' article about the players-only meeting was was revealing. Yeah. It was a bit revealing in the sense of having some sort of disconnect or, you know, communication issue maybe between, between players and coaches. And, and it seems as though maybe that was trending in the right direction. Um, time will tell. Can I – you were at the press conference for John Brandon, and, and we'll let you go here in a second, my famous uh, – <laughs> my famous expression. Famous last, famous last my famous words. Famous last words means we'll, we'll hang up in an hour. At the press conference, did he address at all this controversy over leaving the court before the team? No. Was no, he asked about was, it? 
Probably wasn't no, asked about it. He, he wasn't even asked about it. And and I saw some things on Twitter and I, I really hope no one makes anything out of it. You know what I mean? It's, but don't we, don't we have to at least ask and, and find out more because of the fact that it's not just random fans. I probably wouldn't have said anything or thought about it twice. Right. Had I not seen two messages, one from one from Tari's mom who is more active on Twitter and we hear from quite often, but the other right. one was from what was from uh, Mike Saunders junior mom, I believe. And it's just not as common to see that or hear that. She, does, just, she doesn't get worked up. She doesn't get worked up on guard. Twitter. She doesn't have a large following. Right. You know, we're, we're probably, I think she has like 90 followers and we are quite, we know who we're the 30 Bearcat fans that follow her. Right. Right. Um, you know, so that, that took back and, no, no, you know, no. Let, let Brand answer. Like you're yeah. saying, you don't think that that's you think it's much ado, regardless. See, I, I just don't. Yeah, sure. And ex, just explain it. Sure, I'll I'll take that. You know what I mean? Just if 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 asked, just have an hey, Tell me, tell me, tell me, you're upset that Calvin Sampson ran up the score, or that you felt that he was running up the score because they were still shooting threes with two minutes left, and you're up by thirty. Okay, that's cool. You're upset about that. Like I get that. Right. Um, you know what? Screw it though, man. It's college. If that's whatever it is, you know, it's college basketball. I, I was, I was saying earlier that SMU or yeah, the first game against SMU, I felt like we took our foot off of their throats for a few minutes mm-hmm. and we let them back in the game. Right. Houston wanted this man. They wanted this. We've, we beat them three. We beat them two times in this game and they wanted this. Right. And they weren't letting up. So I'm yeah, fine I, with that. I do think he owes us an explanation. I think that's what I get frustrated about with John Brandon the most is that he doesn't give us explanations about anything that we really want explanations about. <laughs> right. Now, so I think with, with Mick, so when Mick was coach, he had his assistants who would, you know, and, and back in the day when hugs was, was coach, you know, you would kind of lay into the players and then Larry Davis would go and, and calm them down and, and kind of, you know, tell them what's going on. I, I did so so John going into the tunnel after you know the minutes after the game or whatnot seconds I think it was second it was like yeah second, simultaneous right. with the game ending I think yeah like whistle right? blown and he's turned and he's walking towards yeah. and towards it was, the it was strange because he was like halfway down Houston's bench as well like with like eight seconds left maybe just saying congrats and, and see you later but okay I don't know if it was kind of a just like that's what's happening after this loss is I'm, I'm going and I'm going to figure things out. And when the team comes in here, that's when I'm going to talk to them. Or, you know, if I, it's the whole camera thing, you know what I mean? This is timing, right. It's, it's basically they're They're not intentionally editing it this way, but like their live shots are going from this camera angle to this camera angle. Yeah. Yeah. We don't get to see it all. And it's not a full picture, but the reactions are jarring. Like, I'm just like, Oh man. Yeah. I don't want to have to talk about this, but I felt kind of obligated. And I probably, I wish maybe he had been asked just so that you could say, Oh, look, I game was over. I talked to Kevin Sampson, talked to the guys. They're, yeah. they're handling their, their stuff and we're moving he, on. He did cover. He, he did say that, you know, he told the kids in, in the locker room, that the team that he just selfishly wanted them to win because he wanted to coach that team longer because he loved the guys. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of maybe just more of an intimate, you know, goodbye type thing. Not really a goodbye, just like an intimate closing to the AAC tournament chapter of the season was just more what he wanted. And sure. Maybe would you want to see him like consoling the players on the, on the bench while they were, you know, 
laying their heads down, but <laughs> like, I don't know. Be it's, like, you know, be, yeah. Oh, Bob Huggins, get down on your knees, put your head, your yeah. face to cheek to cheek. Right. Uh, rub, right. This, rub their foreheads, you know. But no, I could see, I could see ESPN being like, being like, okay, now, now pan over to Houston. Oh, Brandon's walking off. Pan to Brandon, pan to Brandon. You know, it's just so. For it's sure. Just, for sure. Like if, if a, a player walked off the court quickly like that, um, it does, it gets attention. It does raise eyebrows. I mean, it the, did raise it. Raised the only, eyebrows the State. only people who know and who it matters to though are the players, right? So if the yeah. players have no beef with it, I have no beef with it. Right. It just is something that was curious and, and you don't know the extent of it based on how editing is done on, on live shoots. Right. Brent, this yes. is fun, my friend. Um, Thank you. Are there any parting shots or words of wisdom you think that should be shared right now to counter the, the, the vibe that Hummer and I are putting out there? Well, well, first off, love your guys' podcast. Listen to you guys weekly. Uh, but aside from that, not, I mean, just look at this core. Just look at the core. And know that the cupboard is not bare. Know that you've got you've got the pieces. You know, it, you you I, look at these young players. I mean, Mikey Saunders, his speed is confirmed. That is validated. It's it's real life. <laughs> it is elite. Approval. It's been yes. uh It's been Tar Eason notarized. Length. Yeah, Tar Tar Eason length. Notarized. I I mean, his arms are monstrously long. He grabs rebounds. I I tweeted. Something out from the ECU his, game. We grabbed this one rebound, which was an awesome rebound. I mean, he's he's back next year. I, Jeremiah Davenport, if he makes the same improvement he made from this year, the, from last year to this year, for this year to next year, he'll be National Player of the Year. He'll be good. No, he's not going to make that. He's not going to make that big of a jump again. But still, he's going to be a, a player that will get his all. And he was a vocal leader by the end of the year. Um, Jeremiah, it's, did you just hear what Brent said? He said you're not going to make that jump again. There you go. Bulletin board, He said Jeremiah. you're not going to make that jump, and you can't get Bulletin board, Jeremiah. We've been, we've been intentionally vague about that jump ever since ever since we had him as our preseason. Like, How many times one. are you going to bring this up? I know, but we ever since then, we've been so like scared to like doubt Jeremiah. What did you have like, on? Because uh, in my preseason, I – I pretty much said he was uh, he was going to be energy off the bench. That, we said it. we said board like we were like saying who's going to be the odd man out for that like sixth man spot like yeah you're going to be him or Harvey fighting for that like who's going to be that energy off the bench like right. there weren't enough minutes to go around right like how many yeah. here's how many minutes there are here's the roles and it did seem like they're like not everybody could play the minutes they wanted and I think they kind of bared out with Zach Harvey frankly it's just that we had Jeremiah Pegg to be the guy who maybe missed out on more minutes. Yeah, it, we did well, hedge. We did hedge, and unfortunately, we, we were we were correct in the hedge uh, because <laughs> we actually called last year Zach Harvey transferring. And I know it's not official yet, but uh, we've already read the tea leaves. They did not say happy birthday to him. Uh, the official True. Twitter, True. Uh, and then some other stuff that we we're not trying to put anybody on blast for the likes that they do on their Twitter feeds. But uh, someone close to the program they tweeted a buy uh, like the by Felicia tweet in regard in regards to Zach Harvey. So we're, we're getting deep into Twitter verse here. Um, but no, we had him there. And so we've been, we've kind of now been hedging that like, you know what? He could take that leap. I don't know if he will. Maybe he is. <laughs> I don't know if he does, because like we were kind of talking about earlier, like, okay. So when you're, because we were this is where i guess one of our fired up points i'm sick of people who were saying that this was a rebuilding year we did not come into this year as if it was a rebuilding year if that was the case you would have been playing the freshman from game one 
Right. Like that's 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 clear as day. This, it this wasn't. Is, it wasn't a rebuilding year for sure. Right. Right. And so that's where we're we're kind of getting into it. That all right, if this isn't a rebuilding year next year, all of a sudden that means next year might be a one-two. But who are those players that are going to take that leap? And you're like, all right, Jeremiah Davenport took a huge leap. If he takes another huge leap, like you just said, it's off the charts. What's he going to be? But is is he going to be the player who takes that the Jaron Cumberland sophomore leap, where all of a sudden he goes from being a really good, strong sophomore to conference player of the year? What's Tari Eason going to do? If we have that this aspiration that this team is going to be that good, and we're so bullish on it, and you're if you are the perfect optimist, you're saying that. Davenport is going to be the 18 a point, 18 points per game average. You're saying that Tari Eason is going to be probably 14 with, he's going to be a double, double type of player. He's going to get 10 rebounds a game. He's going to get 10 points a game. He's going to have some blocks. Yeah. He's going to be an all around defensive dynamo, almost a la like Trey Scott, maybe, maybe more like Gary Clark. And I actually wore this. I I wore the, uh, I don't know if you can see this. I I wore the Danny Fortson Jersey today. Okay. So I like I want, I want to see Atari Eason morph into a, a Danny Fortson-esque type player. Okay. That, that was my thought process, but that's where, that's where I'm at right now. If this team is going to be successful next year, that's who we need. We need to see guys take leaps like that. Right. Yeah. Right. And well, I mean, nine 11 against uh Wichita state for Atari. He just, he's, he's, he's shown it all throughout the year. I, yeah. I, I, who would have ever thought in the beginning of the year as well, Mason Madsen would be, just a player where every time he shoots the ball, I feel like it's going in. And, and he's, he's so good at so many different things. I feel like, and someone told us that though, didn't they? Ryan James was hyping up him as like the best shooter in Minnesota. Here's the thing about Mason. That's important is that he's not just a standstill shooter. He can already as a freshman, take a a, a one dribble move to the right or left to get open. He can also take multiple dribbles going inside the three point line settle for a mid range and even get to the rim at times. And the fact yeah. that he already has that in his skill set is going to open up so many more avenues to him being like another level up player, not just a, yeah. not just a three point shooter, but actually a, a bigger, big time college level scorer. Yeah. And, and he, even today you saw he had a drive baseline, I believe, and he kicked it out to Jeremiah. And I think Jeremiah splashed one of his threes there. So yeah. I, and then of course, Micah is another player. I, Throughout the year early, I was kind of thinking, you know, Micah doesn't really have the athleticism to play inside like he was trying to do with some of his drives and, and doing a little bit too much, I would say. But he settled into his role down the stretch. And, I mean, he was averaging 13 points in the last five games heading into today. I, it's That's no joke. It's a it's a guy that has is maximizing his role. And so you have all these pieces. And and then David DeJulius, who's, who's to say he won't? You know, come come in and, and get everything straight with his mind and, and have a full entire offseason where he is just entirely comfortable to be a leader on the team. And all of a sudden he takes a big jump. I I just think the outlook for this team and I and I am on the John Brandon train. I have I have been for since he got here and it, it will take it will take a lot of very bad things for me to hop off it because <laughs> I I see glimpses and that's all I need. I just need little just glimpses. Those, those glimmers of hope. Well, I, I did. I did. I did peg him as a, a, a Hall of Fame coach um, when he first came on board. Right. I'm not quite to that level anymore, but I'm not at the point to where it's it's fire John Brandon. It's John Brandon has to do better. To he needs to earn the hype that he was yeah. given when he first came here, 
And in my mind, as of right now, he hasn't earned it. So it's it's next year is basically in my mind, excuse my language, shit or get off the pot. It's his it's it, next year's your time to shine. You have a strong core of players. There are no more excuses next year. This I don't want to hear anybody say this is a rebuilding year. It's not. The only thing you might be missing is a five. You're going to have studs all around. Every single player that you have coming back right now is already getting significant minutes. So it's time to earn the respect that you were given your first year. Cause we all gave him a pass last year and we came into saying, you know what? This guy's the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's time to prove it. All right. Brent, I, I actually think if you're going to leave this podcast with optimism about Bearcats basketball, moving forward, the players are the exact reason why, like I am excited about the core. They are all hard workers. They've all developed their games, even within this season. And they all have these unique skill sets that are very easy to get excited about. Like right. you, the superpower of Mike Saunders Jr. of speed, the yeah. superpower of Tari Eason of length. Like it's yeah. kind of like this team of right. Avengers, the specialty of, of Mason yeah. Madsen with, with shooting. You do have like this young core of Avengers, basically. You do. Building yeah. around. And that is fun and cool. And they're all like four-year guys. They're all guys yeah. who are going to develop over three to four years and mm -hmm. be with the program and grow with the program. That's exciting. I am... I want, I wish I was at a place where I trusted our coach to maximize the team. And because of what's happened in the first two years, I'm not there. I have reservations about his ability to do so. I just think there's, he's been too slow to react and change and adjust on the fly. And that's where he needs to hopefully look in the mirror in the off season and say, here's where I can be better. Like I need to be more honest with what I'm doing in, from a coaching standpoint, what positions I'm putting my players in, how I'm communicating, relating to them and, and, and building trust with them to make this team as successful as possible. He could do it. He's going to have the opportunity to do it. And, um, you know, I kind of like that. I think I like the narrative of we've got this core of Avengers and let's just fill it out with yeah. some transfers around them uh, to help them reach their ultimate goal of March Madness again. Let's, yeah, let's build a new streak. We see some Ant-Man in there, you know. You, you need to get yourself an Ant-Man, maybe a Wasp, Wasp girl, you know. And then John, John needs to be uh, Samuel L. Jackson. I've just watched the movies. I'm not very familiar with what uh, – I'm not a comic book guy is. either. <laughs> but no, I, so the, the thing about John as well is he is very systematic and he knows what he wants to have happen on the court. But he has had these hands given to him, which – are hands that he has dealt himself with with the players that he has and players that he doesn't have at his disposal, where he has to pay, play target at the five, where he, you know, he has to play players out of their position that he envisions them at. But he also, like you said, he always looks in the mirror. He is an extremely hard worker. He is, I, I guarantee you, he will be up at late at night tonight, all all day tomorrow, just thinking about what he can do right now to fix the team and listening to this podcast and saying, how can I appease Zach Coomer and Ryan Hummer? What can I do? How can I earn their respect and love recruit, and adoration? Recruit, recruit. No, it's a, no, I, I take more positives away than I do negatives this season, which is, which is good. Um, and I think that if you're taking more negatives away, maybe you got to look in the mirror a little bit because there's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of positives that came out of this season. And I, I, uh, yes, the losses were bad. Yes. There were confusions and, and, you know, roster futility and everything was happening. No one knew exactly what was happening, but still in the end, they looked good. I mean, they, they, they looked really, really good against Wichita state and SMU. So I'm, I'm on the train. I always am. 
Mr. Optimism. This so. felt healthy. This felt really productive. I feel good coming away from this conversation with you, Brent. Good. I appreciate good. it. There's Happy only one help. more thing. There's only one more thing I want to see next year. That's it. It's super simple. I don't want any roster drama. Okay. I don't want anybody oh, opting God, out yeah. or quitting the team next year. I just, no I more, no more Johnny drama. Year. Yeah. No, no Johnny drama. You know what? I missed the days. This sounds terrible. It's going to sound really awful. I missed the days when a guy got kicked off the team because he pulled an Octavius Ellis. Oh or, you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a, there's, there's, there's a, a reason why you got kicked off. It's not just some ambiguity that you don't know the, 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 what's the surrounding it. Like it was Octavius's fault. He was out there doing what he was doing. I just want a year where it's just no drama, just yeah. good fashion, Bearcat basketball. Who, it's really hard to predict how much of that is in his control or not. I, I have reason to believe exactly. it's a little bit of both, but um, you can find Brent's work at thebearcatjournal.com. Is it thebearcatjournal.com or just bearcatjournal.com? It's just bearcatjournal.com. Just bearcatjournal.com. Um, you also do a weekly podcast, Bearcat Bounce Pod, and yep. it's on the BCJ podcast feed, yep. which yep. I learned the hard way uh, when yeah. I was searching for it one time. I was like, where is this? Right, um, right, right. But yeah, check out your work. When do you guys usually drop that podcast? Is it on Mondays or Tuesdays? Yeah, it's on Mondays. Yeah, Mondays. Chad, Chad does the uh, the skinny podcast on Sundays. So okay, then he then he does the BBP with us. It's a it's a fun listen. Check out Brent's work. Spring football, I imagine, is what you're getting into next. Right around the corner. Yeah. All right, it's man. A, roll right uh, into it. <laughs> yeah, that is the yeah. I I mean, shoot, I, it's it's hard to be a Cincinnati fan and see all the promise of the basketball team and then have to have to peel away and now focus on football. It, it, it is horrible. Where we horrible all just time wrap right our now. arms around each other. Terrible. And hug terrible. And we're, 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 we're about ready to start talking national championship football. Yes. In Cincinnati. That is okay. where we're at. I'm we're there. Look, I'm there's, in. There's nothing but optimism surrounding the football program right now. If you have any ounce of negativity in football, get the hell out of Cincinnati. Don't come to Philly. I don't want to see you here. Go, go to go out of the, leave the country. All right. <laughs> Go somewhere without the internet. Go live in a forest. All right. Yeah. No one cares. We're all positive about football right now. We're pumped. And guess what? This is the end of season two of the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball. We'll probably come back to you next week on season three. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, I didn't know. All right. Good news. Wow. Brett, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining the podcast tonight, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Always. buddy.